0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Sportbox in your headlines this hour. U.S. equities close sharply higher, but the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq stay on track to close out September deep in the red breaking a five-month winning streak. News of a fresh stimulus deal supports the rally, with Democrats putting forward a $2.2 trillion proposal amid hopes a deal with the White House is within reach.
1: Tax taking center stage ahead of the first presidential debate tonight as Joe Biden's campaign hones in on reports that Donald Trump paid no federal income tax for a decade. And sterling rallies as Brexit talks resume. But Brussels warns the UK position remains far apart from Europe, whilst the Commission President Ursula von der Leyen says she believes an agreement is possible.
2: Our economies on both sides of the channels are severely hit by the pandemic. And we should do everything possible to find an agreement that is manageable Um, so that we do not increase the negative impact on our economies. LVMH says Tiffany's catastrophic performance means its prospects are dismal as the French luxury giant files its own lawsuit against the US jeweler over the collapsed $16.6 billion deal.
1: Morning, you happy bunch out there. I hope you're all very well. How are you, Jeffrey? I'm okay. I'm sure Karen's very well. She can hear us as well. Look, I'm I'm just going to go through the markets, and um, they've got me down to do markets and energy, and Uh then they've got me down to look at a few bits, and then you're going to look at a few bits, and Karen is, and then we're going to chat. But I'm thinking to myself, Mm. should we bother for a month? Should we just just chill out until the third of November and just think? Because I'm just wanting anything that's going to happen. I probably should do this bit after I've done the market. I? But right. Is anything that's going to happen in the next three or four weeks? Yes. Does it matter? Uh, does it matter really yes. for the longevity of markets in the medium term? Isn't it all about what happens on the
0: 3rd of November? Well, look, we're all going to be a long time dead, but we're not talking <laughs> about the long term, are we? We're talking, well, no, about, talking about your opportunity. I'm over talking about the short 26 term.
1: trading days or something. I so, wasn't talking well, about being dead look, yet. Look,
0: there, there is an opportunity over the short term. To, to make a bit of money on the twists and turns, oh. isn't there? I is mean, that what today we do? is such an interesting day. That's the why they watch
1: Squawk every day. That's why we're <laughs> the premier business show on the planet, I'm told. Good. Uh, there's one or two decent ones in the US as well, to be honest, on CMC. But anyway, OK, right. So US markets. OK, Jeff's persuaded me. I will do it then. OK, so US markets, yes, they did rally. Uh, Dow for 10 points, to the upside, S&P 53 points. and Nasdaq was up uh, a mighty 204 points as well. 11 out of 11 sectors were in positive territory. Uh, I've got energy. I'll show you energy as well. Energy was up 2.3%. It was the best performing sector. Although, let's face it, I've got a great number for you here. Uh, not a great number, a, a horrific number. Energy away from its 52-week high, you're probably pretty aware of this one, Jeff. It is, give or take the change, 50% off. 50% off, it's 52-week high.
0: So this is interesting, isn't it? Because everybody's seized on the quarter-end argument for the reason why some of these cyclical sectors actually did a bit better in the trade yesterday. And the argument that's been put out there for you, our audience, is that what we've got here is a quarter-end rebalancing that a lot of the cyclical sectors were so unloved that here's an opportunity for the the funds to actually step in at these lower prices and just add to the portfolio some of these sectors just in case it turns out that we do get a better economic fourth quarter than the markets have so far anticipated. So, as you point out, energy adding, what, I don't know, 2% or so, but financials were the strongest area, still up 3%. And, the, and that fits in with the general narrative here that if we're going to have a better growth outlook for the fourth quarter, then you would imagine that the veins and the arteries of the US economy and the global economy, the banks, will be the beneficiaries fisheries of that. But I have to say, you know, the negative news just continues to drip, drip, drip in when it comes to the growth story. I mean, one of the headlines that I took from our friend over at High Frequency Economics this morning Mm -hmm. was uh, around the export numbers, you know, continual deterioration In the uh, uh, world trade rebound, the year-over-year export drop signals perhaps we have even further weakness at this point. Which means, Karen, good
1: morning to you, our friend, that technology still remains in the sweet spot because when everyone looks at the equity market, they go, oh, we need 21st century COVID-reliant themes and that'll be tech, regardless of valuations.
2: Right. And I'm going to disagree from you with the outset about sitting this one out until after the election. Typically, I would think that might be the case, too. But when it comes to technology, we saw a pretty vicious sell off at the start of this month. And I'll take you to one stock in particular that you can see on that board. Apple, I mean, the stock was off about 20% from highs to lows during the month. Very strong selling the first three weeks. But then it started to regroup. And a number of analysts are looking at whether we're now seeing this recovery trade take place. And you think about this stock, it's one that's having a fairly significant bearing on the major indices. And you saw that yesterday, the biggest moving stock for the S&P and the Nasdaq was Apple to the upside. So what we saw Thursday, Friday session was buying back in the stock. It continued into the Monday session. So I think many investors now are watching whether there could be some sort of breakout to the upside. And clearly, you know, you mentioned some of the COVID themes. Apple very much poised around that. And don't forget, there's all this delicious buzz in the markets to around another invitation being sent out to the investor community. This time around the iPhone 12. So even though we had the launch recently of other devices, we didn't hear anything about the iPhone 12. So that is very much debated behind the scenes and it could be another positive catalyst for that particular stock. So I would watch for some early movement uh, in a breakout to the upside. The question is, and I think this is the problem for technology more broadly, that there are still some bears circling around some of these stocks. And it was unusual last week as we started to see that recovery in Apple stock, that there was one very significant analyst from UBS who came out and said, well, you know, we may still see a challenge around some of the the revenues, the service revenues they could decelerate. Also, very aggressive valuations given the growth profile for Apple. But, I mean, you could replace that uh, stock and put a number of other tech names into that type of commentary. After very strong trading at the start of the year since March, a lot of the valuations did become quite stretched, which is why we saw the sell-off. The question, though, is when you get momentum back into a trade and you start to see a turnaround, could some of the positioning start to happen as soon as October? And is that what we should be watching out from the technology sector?
1: Great point, Karen. Uh, and, and I just wanna just uh, I don't know how to pick on someone today. So I'll pick on the journalists at the FTU just pointing out in their headline, fears of disputed US election fuel market volatility bets. Well, have you never done an election before? Whoever wrote that article, because every single election where you think there is a diverse set of income, uh, outcomes, guess what? Guess what? Yeah, people buy the options that that time frame is included in so that they can potentially ride that volatility. I traded my first election in 1992 and it was exactly the same case. In fact, if anything, it was more because the outcomes were more diverse in the early 90s, where you thought if the Tories won in the United Kingdom, you would get a rollicking ride to the upside on the market. If the Labour Party won, you thought there would be socialism by the back door. Now, of course, there's less difference between the main parties in the UK and the question is, is there main difference between the presidential candidate stroke president and what the outcomes will be? Well, there is some fantastic data. And I'm going to bore you about this over next month because Jeff has told me I have to look at the markets over next month, as you have as well, Karen. So I will. So if you look at the performance of markets over the presidential terms, uh, going back and they've gone back to Hoover and way beyond that as well. The fact of the matter is you struggle to find a thematic that says Republicans uh, create a better market environment than Democrats and vice versa. I'll just give you some of the numbers very quickly, because uh, there are thousands of pieces of data on this one mm. as well, and we will give you it all. For instance, the S and P over Trump's term so far has been up forty four percent, but the S and P over two Obama terms up one hundred sixty six percent. Over two Bush terms, uh, over sorry, over the uh, uh, George W. Bush terms, uh, the one term there uh, down
0: thirty six percent. I mean, there is, a, there is a logical argument around policy for that in that the markets anticipate Democrats coming in and increasing public spending and Republicans coming in and reining back on public spending. So less stimulus ultimately for the markets, less earnings for the corporates. I'm not sure that that always necessarily plays through, but that's the argument that I think those who look at the political uh, runestones would make. I mean, I think the interesting thing about this um, election outcome is it's still incredibly close. You know, if you think about what the um, the national polls are saying, the national polls are indicating it's a Biden win. If you look at the betting markets, the betting markets which look at all of the information are suggesting actually it's way too close to call at this point. So even as we're likely to get lots of twists and turns here, it is very much down to the wire at this point. And I just wanted to to pick up on your point around technology, Karen. I have a question mark as to whether. Actually, investors will circle back wholeheartedly to technology for the rest of this year. And I'll, you know, it may happen, but I'll just throw in one idea here. Perhaps part of the reason why we're seeing some of these cyclicals rally at this point is where is the corporate action? The corporate action is in the cyclicals because the valuations are much lower. Than you see in the tech sector at this stage. And I'll just flag up for you I don't know whether you saw the deal. Um, Steve, you probably took a look at it because it's in your energy space. But Devon Energy Corporation up 11.9%, the oil and gas producer has made a bid for WPX Energy, which jumped nearly 17%, a $2.5 billion deal, forced consolidation ultimately because of what we see going on in their space. And it's not the only place where it's happening. NTT bidding for Docomo, it's a deal that everybody thought was going to happen in Japan decades ago, now at $38 billion. It looks like it's finally rolling out here. There's a lot of M&A action to happen before year end, I think, as we see industry consolidation.
1: Defensive or aggressive. I just want to just clarify something I said, by the way, the two George W. Bush terms down 37 percent, the S&P, the one H.W. Bush term up 51.67. There was a little bit of lack of clarity from me on the Bushes there. Karen.
2: Yeah, just a ton of special situations to pick up on Jeff's point about consolidation. I do remember one particular year when I was covering hedge fund awards that all this M&A came out of the woodworks and surprised everyone. And some people saw a big pop in the portfolio and were quite stunned that they had done so well on the performance. So it is one thing to watch out for. But I would say when it comes to technology, don't forget we have moved through various cycles around this virus first up, the, the lockdown, the changes of behaviours that really caught us all by surprise, that saw that uh, very strong stampede into tech because it was the only game in town with all of the remote and online preferences that were coming into the mix. Don't forget we seem to be going back into that again with the second wave, even though we don't have as many restrictions, behaviours are changing, you're seeing you know, supermarkets running out of certain goods, people booking delivery slots, stay-at-home type of mentality is kicked in again, so it may cause more movement back into those technology names as a result so it's certainly one to watch for in the next couple of months as we see the worst of a, a second wave again unfold across the globe
1: fantastic karen yeah we're just spending a lot of the, look at the data is amazing uh, when you compare a reagan a nixon a roosevelt etc yeah. uh, etc et there are some stunning numbers there herbert hoover he had probably the hardest shift didn't he 29 to 33 S and P was down seventy seven percent. Eisenhower, we mentioned the other day as well, comparing him to Trump with that academic the other day. Up one hundred and thirty percent during his term, from fifty three to sixty one.
0: Yeah. Well, welcome everybody to the History Channel.
1: We're oh just no 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 no, take, no 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 no. People love it. No, because I think again, I'll just say this off camera as well, or on camera. What I said off camera. Right. Um, no, don't don't we, say what
0: you said off camera. That won't go down well at really? all.
1: Really, management, all right? They've got thick skins. Yeah. No, no, I was just saying there is an assumption out there from a lot of you, uh, given the way that the rhetoric goes, and from a lot of us as well, is that yeah. Republicans more market-friendly, market goes up. Democrats, less market-friendly, yep. market goes down. But just looking at the evidence, that is not conclusive by any way, shape or means.
0: Uh, House Democrats have unveiled a new $2.2 trillion fiscal stimulus package as they aim to strike a last-ditch deal with the White House before the election. The measures include another round of direct payments to American households, while states would receive $436 billion in additional support. Airlines would also also... also get a further $25 billion as long as there are no more furloughs until March 2021. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin held talks on Monday with further negotiations set for today.
1: I have to leave this data alone. There are some amazing numbers. I'll come back to that. President Trump and Joe Biden will meet in Cleveland, Ohio tonight for the campaign's first presidential debate. The topic of the president's tax record has been revived by a weekend New York Times report. Now, NBC's Alice Barr has more. It's
3: going to happen now with more and more Trump. The presidential candidates preparing for their first debate tomorrow night.
0: I am looking very forward to
3: the debate. President Trump will face pressing new questions about his taxes after the New York Times reported he paid just $750 in federal income taxes in 2016 and 17 and no federal income tax in 10 of the previous 15 years.
1: It's fake news. It's totally fake news, made up, fake.
3: President Trump still bucking decades of tradition by refusing to release his tax returns while he's under audit. NBC News has not independently reviewed the 20 years worth of records the New York Times obtained, but according to the paper, the Trump business empire reported losing more money than it made, using those losses to avoid paying taxes. Joe Biden's campaign releasing a new video comparing taxes paid by teachers fired Fighters and nurses to the presidents. Some voters voicing frustration. It's unfair.
0: It's hard working
2: people for the people that do pay their taxes.
3: Others unswayed.
2: President Donald Trump, is one of the best presidents I've seen ever.
3: The New York Times also reporting that over the next four years, more than $300 million in loans the president has personally guaranteed will come due. It's unclear to whom he owes that money.
2: To whom? different countries, what is the leverage they have? So for me, this is a national security question.
3: A Trump organization attorney telling NBC News the Times investigation is riddled with gross inaccuracies, noting the president has paid tens of millions of dollars in personal taxes to the federal government. President Trump has paid federal taxes like Medicare, Social Security and the alternative minimum tax. He's claimed in the past that his ability to avoid paying income taxes makes him a smart businessman. In Cleveland, Alice Barr, NBC News. Do
1: you know what time it starts? Our time.
0: Uh, go on. 2 a.m. 2 a.m.? Yeah. Yeah, you can tell me about it when you come <laughs> <on>. <laughs> You'd say that. Ouch. Uh, The presidential debate later tonight marks the first of several key US events this week. On Wednesday, the final reading of second quarter GDP will be released, with the outlook growing darker after Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan cut their near-term growth estimates. Elsewhere, the Senate faces a deadline to approve a spending bill that would avoid a government shutdown. Finally, the September employment report comes out on Friday after job creation slowed in August. Karen.
2: And coming up on the show, LVMH bites back as the French luxury group counter Tiffany in a bid to walk away from its $16 billion takeover.
1: OK, Karen, I think it's a very good podcast today, so I'm told by the producers. Uh, more on the strong start to the week for US markets. There's a chat on the History Channel, of the presidential debates and what the markets have done during that period. Uh, and there's loads more apparently on the Squatbox podcast.
0: Welcome back, everybody. The coronavirus pandemic has now claimed over a million lives. That according to data from Johns Hopkins University, as cases continue to rise in Europe and America. NBC's Raf Sanchez has the report.
4: The world reaching a grim milestone today with 1 million deaths from the coronavirus worldwide. The US unfortunately is the nation with the largest number of deaths at 200,000. That means the US is accounting for one in every five deaths worldwide even though Americans are just 4% of the world's population. You then have Brazil with 142,000 deaths, President Jair Bolsonaro refusing to take the virus seriously, even as it's led to such a dramatic death toll in his country. Now, our understanding of the virus is improving all the time and vaccine research is underway, but the World Health Organization is warning we may get to 2 million deaths before we get to a functioning vaccine widely distributed.
0: It's certainly uh, unimaginable but it's 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 not impossible because if we look uh, at l- losing a million people in nine months and then we just look at the realities of getting vaccine out there in the next nine months. it's a big task for everyone involved.
4: Now, those one million deaths are just those officially recorded as being caused by COVID-19. But we know there are lots of people who will have died from the virus without an official record being kept. And that means that we will probably never know the true toll of this pandemic. Raf Sanchez, NBC News, London.
0: U.S. Vice President Mike Pence has warned Americans to expect case numbers to rise in coming days. Pence cited greater testing capabilities, along with worrying trends in some Midwestern states. Speaking at the White House, President Trump defended his administration's testing strategy.
1: I invoked the Defense Production Act and related authorities more than 100 times and distributed $171 million to expand testing production. We've done nearly twice as much testing per capita as France, Italy, and Germany, and over six times more testing per capita than South Korea. We've done far more than any other country, usually times two, three, four, five, or six.
2: Meantime, 38 million people will sink into poverty across East Asia and the Pacific in 2020. The World Bank has predicted the pandemic, coupled with strict containment measures, is about to slash the economic growth of the region to just 0.9% this year, the lowest level since 1967. The poverty is set to tick up for the first time in two decades. The World Bank expects China's economy to expand 2%, while the rest of the region is projected to contract 3.5%.
1: Karen, I- apologies. I- I'm obsessed by this data as well, and I- I- I'm poring over these numbers. What do you think the S&P rose under Obama, two terms? Uh, 166.2%. No, 0. 0.3. <laughs> you, you, ran, you rounded it down by mistake. It's 166.28 actually, Cutters. Yeah.
0: Very wow. good. Yeah. Well, uh, because you gave me
1: the number earlier. Oh, shush. Yeah. Uh, Asian indices. <laughs> I don't know, try to make it more interesting sometimes. Uh, three tenths of 1% higher for the Nikkei 225. The Shenzhen Composite up 1.3%, that is the stellar performer today. Hang Sang giving back a little bit of ground. Had a good day yesterday with the HSBC store in Ping An, uh, giving a vote of confidence, albeit at stunningly low levels, on the UK-listed bank as well. So uh, HSBC had a good value yesterday, Ping An was part of the catalyst. Hang Seng today giving back a little bit of ground. Opening calls for European markets. Um, I'd say it was a very good day if you were along the market yesterday, but the FTSE struggled to keep up with the likes of the CAC and the DAX. What did the DAX rally yesterday? I didn't tell you that. No, it was up 3.2%. Uh, the CAC rallied 2.4%. The FTSE underwhelming, but there is a reason for this. I'll, do, I'll mention it very quickly because it was up 1.5%. And you know why the FTSE underwhelmed yesterday, because the pound sterling had a little bit of a run from a 127 handle to a 129 handle on a basis of a couple of stories, which we'll discuss throughout the
0: show. Yes, we will. We'll come back to those in just a second. US pension funds for for truckers, teachers and subway workers have sued German insurance and asset management giant Allianz. The plaintiffs claim that Allianz failed to safeguard their investments during the pandemic volatility. The company was forced to shut down two private hedge funds in March after severe losses resulting in a wave of litigation. The various claims filed so far amount to $4 billion. According to Allianz, the allegations are, quote, legally and factually flawed.
2: Moving on to corporate news, and LVMH has countersued Tiffany after the planned tie-up of the French and US luxury companies fell apart. The French luxury group has threatened to walk away from the $16.2 billion takeover, citing Tiffany's quote, catastrophic performance since the outbreak let's get out to charlotte for more charlotte uh, not many articles capture attention at five o'clock in the morning but the ft has a terrific piece today on this and one of the elements that jumped out to me was the case that uh, lvmh was making that effectively tiffany's has suffered a a fairly huge loss in the, the first half of this year but it's the same amount of money that the ceo of tiffany's seeks to take away if this transaction progresses
5: that's why it shows that this uh, new chapter and this saga is getting personal here with this line talking about how uh, Tiffany management is pushing for this deal with LVMH because they would personally profit from it, mentioning that uh, this $44 million that the current CEO Alessandro Borlio would get if the deal goes through uh, would mean that he's and I quote here, the filing that his golden parachute is equivalent to Tiffany's loss in the first half of 2020. So here things getting personal, but yes, this filing, yes, it is countersuing for from LVMH uh, against uh, Tiffany's in Delaware yesterday. So there's different lines here in in this filing that we heard. Uh, The main one that LVMH is going with is that there is material adverse change in Tiffany's business given the COVID crisis. And of course, this is a a standard provision in merger agreement allowing a buyer to walk away from the agreement. And of course, I mentioned that the COVID crisis here, the dependence of Tiffany's on the US market and the access and the footfall in malls in particular, makes it more exposed uh, to uh, the disruption to the luxury market uh, than, the, than the rest of the of the luxury market uh, and that they see that disruptions continue into 2021. And so I quote here again the filing saying that Tiffany is particularly ill-suited for the challenges ahead. So again, uh, in this filing, uh, the LVMH filed yes, that yes, uh, Tiffany's performance has been, and I quote, catastrophic and its prospects remain dismal. So again, very strong words in di- that filing for LVMH another line that they go with is that there was a mismanagement from Tiffany's um, from the Tiffany's management to handle this new environment due to the covid crisis again they said this is a breach of obligation uh, to run the business soundly until the deal was closed and they said that the decision from Tiffany's management in this crisis to slash capital and marketing investment take on extra debt and pay cash dividends are proof of this so here the the, the latest chapter in this saga here uh, between LVMH and Tiffany's, um, now the, the 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 trial, the the arguments will be in in January next year. And you remember, this comes after this letter that LVMH said they had received from the French government to say to not close this deal before January 6, which is a deadline uh, for for potential tariffs to come on French goods within the trade negotiations on the back of the digital services tax. So here many layers to this story. Now adding a political layer last time, and now this. Now the two companies could come to an agreement and could. To come to negotiation in between before uh, the, this date of January fifth, but uh, this latest chapter here with strong words and getting very personal here.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to CNBC.com
2: or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.